sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hey, uh, I'm Nate Larkin, here this week with a guest host, none other than Dr. Tom Mocha, the uh, executive director of Samson House, the nonprofit that supports the growth and health of the Samson Society, and not only that, a good friend. Hey, Tom. Hey, Nate. Uh, we're, in, we're in the same state, but, uh, but we're in separate counties right now. Of course, you are perennially busy, but especially busy today. You're, you're in the thick of training, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I'm taking the ITAP coaching training and uh, absolutely loving it. It has been a, uh, a delight to sit at the feet of some truly great instructors, professors, uh, experts in the whole field of uh, sex addiction, uh, sexual woundedness, um, mm-hmm. and actually, more specifically, trauma. Just there, like like the uh, uh, common phrase now these days is uh, there is no addiction without trauma, and so it really yeah, is yeah. without trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, so so this is a coach's training, which uh, leads to a certification. You know, one of the to me, one of the great uh, developments in recent years in uh, sex addiction recovery. Well, there are a couple. First of all, more and more modalities that help that are uh, almost that are trauma informed, trauma focused. Mm-hmm. More and more skilled and experienced therapists who can help those of us who have fallen into the clutches of sex addiction. Uh, but beyond that, in addition to that. A growing number of recovery coaches uh, who can help men and women uh, navigate the thicket of recovery and make their way through day to day. And I'm thrilled to see a growing number of Samson Society members utilizing a recovery coach and uh, quite a few these days uh, becoming coaches themselves. Yeah, 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 exactly. We're uh, we're really encouraging that, actually. Um, uh, there are guys that have been in recovery for a while, have experienced some success, and they want to take it to the next level, and mm-hmm. coaching for some, not all, but coaching for some is is that next level. It's a way to to uh, to give it away, and. Mm-hmm. Coaching is exactly that. It is it is uh, helping other men uh, along the path of their recovery. So, uh, Tom, you've you've had a Silas uh, for a long time. Uh, you're, in fact, you experiment experimented you and a couple of your guys with kind of a three way Silas thing. Just awesome. Uh, Menage a trois of Silas. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So no, what? No, no. What's what's the term for what you guys are doing? The three of you. We're calling it a triad. A A triad. Okay. Yeah. A a silence triad. It's good. It's it's working. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, And uh, and that's not. uh, You also have been a silence to quite a few guys and gotten because uh, no doubt because uh, you do newcomer meetings because you're at the forefront of things. You've helped a lot of guys get initial traction and get started. 
Um, yeah. But wh- wh- how would you describe the difference between, or is there a difference between coaching and silencing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a a big difference. First of all, <laughs> foremost is uh, scope of practice. Uh, mm-hmm. A uh, a therapist has a much broader scope of practice. Um, fundamentally, a, a therapist is is really answering the question why you're addicted to unwanted sexual behavior. In in the case of sexual addiction or in any addiction. Uh, uh-huh. Therapist is the one getting at the root of that, and they are trained in in a broad uh, spectrum of modalities. A, they have at their fingertips um, uh, all kinds of tools and diagnostic mm-hmm. measures uh, that help them uh, help them help us understand why we are who we are, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting at the very root of the problem, which is uh, virtually always trauma. Uh, but the coach is different. The coach really answers the question, um, now that you know why you're who you are, now that mm-hmm. you have identified your trauma and, uh, and you're working on, on dealing with that, uh, where do you go from here? Uh, mm-hmm. How do you get there? It's uh, mm-hmm. The coach is really all about providing tools and skills for moving forward. Okay. Okay. So, th- so that's the difference between a therapist and a coach. And, and would you say as a coach d- different from a Silas, is it a step up from a Silas? Ooh, good question. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it really is. It's a little bit more uh, programmatic. It's still mm-hmm. relational, like a Silas yeah. relationship, but it is uh, much more uh, programmatic. A, a good coach mm-hmm. is, Going to have a a specific game plan. And it's okay. a lot. Honestly, it's it's just it, the coach is a great word. It, it yeah. a, a moniker. It's it's like a coach on the sidelines, or even better, it's like a coach in the locker room who's saying, "Okay, here's the game plan," mm-hmm. and and then on the sidelines saying, "All right, the game plan's not quite working. <laughs> Here's <are> the <laughs> adjustments we need to make as we go along." Uh, okay. And then, Pretty typical in recovery. I mean, you just make it sure, yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. you follow the game plan. Yeah. What, what was that Mike Tyson uh, quote? Everybody has a plan till they get punched in the mouth, right? <laughs> 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 and that happens sometimes in recovery. You got a great plan, you get punched in the mouth, and uh, if you've got if you've got a coach there in the corner, can help you in that moment of crisis, so you don't have to spin in, yep. into relapse or disaster, right? Yep, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Beautiful. Well, uh, we have been talking about building a coaching page on the Samson Society website. Are we getting close to that, Tom? Yeah, it's on the page. All right, it's on the okay. website. We have a page. We have um, several coaches, myself included. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we put a little bio for each coach and a, contact, okay. uh, a way to get in contact with that coach. Uh, various different guys have various different uh, certifications, but what we do require is that every coach on the coaching page have a background in Samson Society and have some kind of official certification. My certification okay. is with ITAP, but there are other certifications as well. Hmm. So. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, hey. Have- 
I might add, we also have therapists on that same page. So therapists mm -hmm. and, and coaches, but they are distinguished. So. Okay. All right. Awesome. Well, speaking of therapists, mm. uh, what I'd like you to do, Tom, if you wouldn't mind, is uh, listen in on a uh, an interview, a conversation I had uh, a few months ago now, quite a few months ago now, with um, a uh, with a therapist, a woman who practices in uh, California and specializes in sex addiction and recovery. Uh, give, give it a listen. We've kind of held on to this interview for a while. I mm -hmm. haven't quite known. Uh, yeah, when to run it or how to run it uh, and maybe when you listen to it we'll talk about it when when, when she's finished and uh, and then let's see what you think okay cool sounds good all right Isn't listeners that? stay with us we'll be back in a moment on the pirate monk podcast this episode of the pirate monk podcast is sponsored by lifeworks counseling our good friends, Roan and Eva Hunter, and their son, Roe, are not just members of the Samson Society, the Sarah Society. They are also trauma-informed, certified sex addiction therapists with a tremendous amount of experience. Well, they and their team of counselors and recovery coaches are based in Madison, Mississippi, but thanks to the internet, they're able to work with people who live almost anywhere. So to find out more about what LifeWorks Counseling can do for you as an individual or as a couple or as a family, or to register for one of their upcoming intensives, go to lifeworks.ms, lifeworks.ms. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, we are privileged to have with us on the show this week uh, a therapist from uh, California, Greater Los Angeles. Mari Lee is joining us from Glendora, California. Welcome, Mari. Oh, thank you, Nathan. Great to be here with you. Well, you certainly have an amazing uh, resume. You've, you've trained with uh, Patrick Carnes. You're Gottman certified. You're uh, trauma-informed and ITAP. You, you carry an ITAP uh, certification. You're a CSAT supervisor. Uh, you're a heavyweight in this space of <laughs> <laughs> for treatment of porn and sex addicts and their partners. Uh, how did you wind up doing this work? What got you here? Oh, thank you. That's such a nice welcome. I appreciate. It. I don't know uh, if I'm a heavyweight, but I'm. I've, I've certainly been uh, in the community for many years, and it, it's really quite an honor to to um, practice this calling and support hurting mm. people, you know, toward healing. So, thank you for that warm welcome, Nathan, and and I appreciate it. Um, well, let's see. So, uh, yeah, if you would have told me um, now, going back, gosh, a couple of decades ago. Um, that I would have uh, specialized in sex and porn addiction and betrayal trauma, complex trauma, I mm. would have said, really? I don't think so. Y you know, that really wasn't part of where I saw <laughs> the therapist. Um, I was with somebody at that time when I was in grad school, and I was in the process of 
locating a topic for my thesis, my uh, master's thesis. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I would do that research thesis on foster care children because I am a former foster care child. And Are I, you? I am. Yes. Uh huh. And I thought, okay, well, let me do let me do something, you know, and and pull in research on you know, those success stories in the foster care world and and especially around this idea of resiliency, what it is, what it isn't, and so forth. However, during that time, the person that I was with, um, very much in love with, had been in a relationship with for quite some time, um, you know, was, you know, we, we discovered then, you know, there was quite an addiction to pornography um, and infidelity and other things going on in the relationship. Mm. And so at that time, you know, hearkening back, you know, like I said, 20 years ago, yep. there wasn't a lot of information, Nathan, for betrayed partners. Certainly. It certainly wasn't um, referred to as complex trauma or betrayal trauma. Those particular clinical terms were not part of our therapeutic vernacular or even in the social language right Mm -hmm. so i was i felt like i was really wandering around you know in the dark trying to find some sort of support for myself and better understand what he was going through what i was going through and you know look toward healing and hit a lot of brick walls in that and Mm. so really that pain became my passion about moving my focus toward betrayal trauma complex trauma and, and I spent, you know, a good year and a half doing research around partners' betrayal trauma and mm. understanding that. And that then became the foundation later for um, uh, facing, you know, facing heartbreak, which is a, a workbook that many therapists use in working with betrayed partners. Yes. So all of that to say that was, you know, uh, my personal certainly influenced my professional journey in the beginning, uh, the first year of working with partners. I thought, I just want to work with partners. I was going through my own healing at the time. And I don't want to work with, with, you know, uh, primarily men, but anybody, really any human dealing with, you know, uh, sex addiction or porn addiction. I think I'm just going to work with a partner. Mm -hmm. But then as I started working with couples and as the addict in recovery or the human in recovery, right, Mm -hmm. came into the session, um, you know, to join the partner at times for check-ins, I really developed quite an interest and um, a love in working with these individuals that were struggling. And what I came to understand very quickly is that without trauma, there is no addiction. You know, yes. trauma is present in every addiction. And once I understood that, and I was able to really hurt, work with the hurting human, mm-hmm. not just the label of recovering addict, you know, that is when my practice really blossomed. And I don't just mean with, you know, in, in terms of clients seeing me and in, in a wait list and all of that. I'm talking about, you know, myself as a therapist blossomed. You know, I really became so interested in working with that hurting human being, the parts that were showing up in the work, um, the mm-hmm. trauma showing up in the work. And so now, though I am known for my work and my books on betrayal trauma, I work equally with addicts in recovery and betrayed partners, and I enjoy both parts of the work. So in a nutshell, that's uh, that's me. <laughs> wow. You used a phrase that I just absolutely loved. Your pain became your passion. Mm-hmm. So it was out of this wounding. And that, to me, it's just so 
remarkable that you were uh, obviously you had enough uh, healing and recovery uh, from your own traumatic experience of being betrayed uh, that when you were in the same room with a betrayed partner and the spouse who'd perpetrated the betrayal, you were able to to feel and cultivate empathy uh, for that person as much. Uh, you didn't just solely identify with the betrayed partner. You saw you saw the hurt uh, and pain in the eyes of of the and and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I kind of heard you walking away from the term uh, sex addict. Uh, yeah, I'm not married to that term. I think that's a term. It's interesting, right? There's a lot of activation, you know, around mm-hmm. that term, and that's yeah. a whole other conversation, right, Nathan? But that can be very activating for people. One, I don't like to label human beings. That's yes. not what this work is about. At least that's not how I see myself as a psychotherapist. And though, yes, I do, of course, use diagnoses and and. Um, diagnoses support a treatment plan and all of these clinical processes that we therapists move through, I want to get to know who that person is. I want to understand their pain points. I want to understand the wounds. I want to understand the history. Clients sometimes will come in. I will say, you know, not to stereotype or generalize more men than women, but men sometimes will come into my practice and say, Mari, you know, I want to work with you, but I don't want to talk about all that stuff that happened in my childhood. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. And what I'll say is I understand it's difficult to do that. But here's the thing, you know, we don't have to live in the past, but the past does live in us. Mm. Informs everything we do, our conversations, our levels of shame, our beliefs, you know, how we mm-hmm. how we are motivated. So the past does inform, you know, and when we think about the past, there's usually trauma in people's past. So while we don't have to live there, we do have to visit there so that we can take a season, take a chapter here, and start doing some of that trauma integration so that you have a narrative that makes sense. So in terms of sex addict, right? What I mm-hmm. see is somebody who is recovering from trauma and people soothe trauma and all in yes. various ways. Some people drink their pain, some people mm-hmm. eat their pain, some people smoke their pain, some mm-hmm. people shop or gamble their pain, and some people sexualize their pain. Mm-hmm. So when we think about there is no addiction without trauma, and we get begin to address the trauma mm-hmm. uh, and take that mindfulness approach, we have you know, people who trust the work, begin mm-hmm. to trust themselves, begin to heal, become integrated versus disintegrated human beings, and they're able to create lives and relationships that they're proud of. So I don't mm-hmm. know that labeling anyone helps, yeah. but, you know, I will go with whatever the client comes. If they say, I think I'm a sex addict, then we, there's a very, you know, clinical assessment process that we go through. Sure. And if they're resistant to that, you know, and they say, I have compulsive sexual behaviors or unhealthy sexual behaviors, you know, that have created these consequences in my life. Great. Then that's where we go with. So I'm not really married to a particular term. I just think we have to look at the pain. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Uh, there is another phrase that we hear often these days. Uh, the phrase, the opposite of addiction is connection. Uh, I do know my, I, I call myself these days a recovering sex addict, although I'm increasingly, un, you know, uncomfortable with the term uh, because I don't want to alienate anybody. But uh, so I've been in recovery now 22 years. Uh, 
Congratulations. Uh, uh, and <laughs> as you say, 22 years ago, nobody was talking to me about trauma. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful that there was a 12-step solution that was available to me and it was extremely helpful. But it was years before anybody opened my eyes to the importance of my traumatic history. Uh, and the fact really that I was suffering from, you know, an intimacy disorder, as I see it these days, mm-hmm. kind of uh, formed and triggered by the traumatic experience, uh, you know, deeply rooted, not re- de- desperately wanting to connect, not knowing how to connect, mm-hmm. finding pseudo connection in you know, pornography or, you know, commercial sex. Uh, my wife and I, miraculously, my, my wife stayed with me. We have sometimes joked because she has her own horrendous trauma history that we've been able to stay together because we have compatible intimacy disorders. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Humorous, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, I mean, here we are, you know, as not just parents now, but grandparents uh, who are uh, grown adults who are continuing to grow. By the way, I love the name of your practice. Oh, uh, growth you. counseling services. That's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but but learning how to do something that comes very awkwardly to both of us, healthy, intimate connection, staying connected, getting connected, repairing when dis- disconnection happens. Uh how much of your work involves working with couples who are trying to rebuild in the aftermath of, you know, all the betrayal that comes out of an, an, an inability to form intimate connection? Oh, yeah. I mean, that is such a big part. Thank you for sharing um, part of your story, Nathan. I yeah. really appreciate that. And I just want to honor the hard work that you've done over, you know, 22 years. That's remarkable and uh, such a good model of hope, I think, for people. So I want to recognize what you just shared um, before, you know, answering your question here. But in answer to your question, yes, I do work with many, many couples. And, you know, my work with couples is twofold. One, um, If a couple comes to me, it's not unusual that couples will reach out and say, you know, this big bomb dropped in our relationship and it looks Mm -hmm. like this. And it's typically, you know, involving betrayal and discovery or, you know, disclosure um, in the heat of the moment and all of this. And Mm -hmm. we'll bring them in and we'll talk about. And during the assessment, what I'll let them know is, you know, right now trying to do deep, intimate, you know, healing and repair work to this relationship rupture is Mm -hmm. not going to be the place where we want to focus our attention. It is important if the two of you decide to stay together. But right now, both of you need to do some individual work. Uh And it's really important to get you into your individual therapy. And then let's have you do check-ins. So in the beginning of the work with couples who are, you know, just have discovered, you know, this, this, this pain and betrayal, you know, just for the sake of, you know, I'll say him and her, but it could be him and him or her and her, right? Right, right, sure. And so, you know, he, if, if let's say he's the one who's done the betrayal and, um, you know, is feeling an excessive amount of, of shame, remorse, um, numbness, fear, all of those feelings, mm-hmm. and she's feeling shock and, and rage and, and pain and betrayal, mm-hmm. et cetera, 
Right. It's so important for both of these individuals to get the tools that they need and deserve to have and the insight into her current trauma and his, you know, what's happening with him that led to this and get them stable. Right. I think about Mm -hmm. it as triaging these individuals. Right. And then um, we have them check in a couple of times a month in the beginning where we're really teaching them communication tools and stability and boundaries, like basic 101 um, intimacy work, right? Where we're just Mm -hmm. basics right now, guys. And we move them through, uh, if they choose to do this, we move them through what's called a formal disclosure process, which can be very traumatic for the partner, Mm -hmm. terrifying, of course, understandably so for the addict in recovery. And we move them through that process where there is full formal disclosure. And it's a multi-stage process, Nathan, where it's supported by both therapists on each side, where we're mm-hmm. working in collaboration with each other to help these, um, to help the addict disclose. Because how do we build trust and re- rebuild that trust and respect and true intimacy? A lot of addicts mistake intimacy for intensity, which that mm-hmm. is. And how do we do some of that attachment? You know, when we think about attachment styles, yes, oftentimes, yeah, addicts have these either ambivalent attachment styles where they're very remote in their attachment, where the partner might have or the spouse might have the an anxious attachment style, very mm-hmm. afraid of losing the marriage or relationship. So we have what a brilliant therapist by the name of Stan Tapping calls the island, who sometimes is that remote addict, and then the waves of you know. Mm panicking partner. And so we're really trying to help these individuals get stable, move them through formal disclosure so that he can have that full process of showing up for himself, taking ownership, and that she then has informed consent on whether or not she chooses to stay in the relationship. Without knowing and understanding what the deception is, we can't then build on shifting sand, right? We have to build a, a, a a deep foundation, then we move that couple into that deeper repair work. If they choose to stay together after formal disclosure, then we do more traditional couples therapy. So couples therapy is vitally important throughout the process, but deep mending of the coupleship doesn't typically happen until there's been some individual work and formal disclosure. Oh, I love the way you emphasize that. How, uh, (laughs) It frustrates me that sometimes, especially uh, in Christian circles, so uh, the Samson Society, the group with which uh, I'm most closely associated, is a Christian organization. Um, And there are sometimes, it seems to me, where there is more emphasis put on saving the marriage than on saving the, the people, the partners. And so we rush straight into trying to you know, you <laughs> get these two people, you know, together to work together. Uh, uh, and I love hearing that you've got this um, focus. Let's first of all care for these two hurting people and get them to do their personal work and get stabilized enough that we can now come together and assess what we're going to do or not do together as a couple. That's oh. beautiful. Oh. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And I really loved what you just brought up, Nathan. I think it's such a vital point and an important point. I identify as Christian as well, although mm-hmm. I can be a little bit of a rebel and probably would be <laughs> a heretic, you know, in the more 
conservative Christian circles. That is for sure. I'm with you there. Okay. okay. All right. Well, with a virtual fist bump, Nathan, then from one. All right. So, yeah. so, you know, I do see a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of what we call spiritual bypassing within the Christian community. Mm-hmm. And, and and a lot of hypocrisy in our Christian community, um, you know, a lot of a lot of stuff going on there. A lot of healing that needs to p- take place in the Christian sure. community, you know. And so, and people very angry with Christians in our world, and you know, I I think for good reason at times, sure. right? Absolutely, yeah. So yeah, right. So when when I think about people who come in with that idea of you know, I'm a Christian, we have to stay together at all costs, God's hate, God hates divorce, you know, mm-hmm. scriptures and, you know, all of these things. Um, I feel like that is the more unhealthy part of our Christian community. It's really about reducing that shame and helping that person not, you know, f- really not condemn themselves, right? Yeah, right condemnation for compassion for self, compassion for the other, while still validating you have every right to feel the pain, the hurt, the the betrayal that you are experiencing. And you have every right if this is not a safe relationship for you, because we really want to remember that when it comes, and this is going to be maybe kind of tough to hear, so we'll just hold space for this, and it's okay if one of your listeners or in many are, are struggle with this, but just mm-hmm. holding space is what I would say, is that when we talk about this level of betrayal, so for example, if we just have an avatar client, we'll call him Joe, mm-hmm. and Joe has had you know two or three affairs, he's been married to his wife for 25 years, has had two or three affairs, has had multiple times with prostitutes, mm-hmm. um, a lot of money towards strip clubs, you know, uh, you know, acting out in all different types of ways, betrayals around finances, gaslighting yeah. her to make her believe that she's crazy or mm-hmm. jealous or whatever it is. And what we're talking about is domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And that cannot be stated strongly enough. This is a form mm-hmm. of domestic violence. We have, of course, physical violence. When we think yes. about domestic violence, we have emotional abuse, yeah. which is gaslighting, betrayal, trauma is. We have, you know, um, uh, financial abuse at times. We have sexual abuse at times, either withholding sex or there's been an STI or STD that's been transferred to the spouse. Mm-hmm. Many ways that this is such abusive behavior that you know we have to make ownership of that in our Christian healing work to yes. say this is you know I know you don't think of yourself as an abuser but you have perpetrated a level of abuse on your spouse yes. and asking her to stay in a marriage where she doesn't feel safe is like asking me you know asking you to put your foot behind my car and I keep running over it and saying, well, you, you have to keep your foot there. Yeah. You know, the spouse needs to know that she's not going to be excommunicated from her Christian community, from her Christian support group. She's not going to be shamed in her Bible studies and, and he as well, right. That he's going to find yeah. love and compassion and support. If in fact the marriage doesn't survive, we hope that I hope that as a therapist, I'm a healer. My hope mm-hmm. That, that couples can learn the tools and, and heal and move forward stronger and find those gifts in the wound. But that isn't my job to force that on them. And no one should be shamed into staying together. Yeah, yeah. 
Let's talk for a minute about shame, if you will. Uh, I, I grew up uh, in a, you know, in a a stream within conservative, uh, you know, Western Christianity, a holiness stream, uh, in which shame was considered basically a good thing. It was our major tool uh, to enforce conformity. Right? Uh, you're going to you're going to be sh- <laughs> you're going to be shamed if you misbehave. Uh, and I spent years trying to shame my way out of shame-based behavior uh, and finding that was futile, just spiraling deeper and deeper uh, into helplessness. Um, do you think – I'm going to ask you to make a general statement, I guess. Do you think that we Christians uh, – if you look at your clients, I'm assuming you'd see Christian clients and you see clients who don't identify as Christian. Yes. Do you think that uh, – that that Christian clients as a group battle shame more frequently than non-Christian clients? Are we bringing some shame baggage with us or, or is there enough shame to go around that it's everywhere and everybody suffers from it? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So the, the, the two part to that answer is first, yes, there's sadly enough shame to go around. So mm-hmm. even clients who don't identify, and I work equally with clients who are Christian, clients who are agnostic, atheist, Buddhist, you mm-hmm. name it, right? Yeah. Um, Catholic, who, you know, many, many different belief systems and right. belief systems, right? But when we talk about um, addictions in general, there's such a level of shame that, uh, you know, that it's, I must be weak-willed, you know, yes. I'm strong enough if I only did this, you know, there's something wrong with me. Um, and that, thankfully, we're starting to change that stigma, right, Nathan, especially with good, I mean, thank goodness, thank God for shows like yours and others, mm-hmm. and these kinds of conversations where people are going to start having um, a more gentle approach and yeah. nuanced and, and informed approach toward addiction and addiction recovery. So there's a great deal of shame no matter what the addiction is, but especially so for sex addiction. Yes. Also, there's shame that takes place for the partner, given a, a different level of shame for the partner because of sex addiction. It's different because, you know, a bottle of vodka doesn't have breasts and a vagina, right? Right, right, Where, right, right. Sort of like, I don't want to tell anybody because they're going to judge my husband or judge me, or maybe mm. I will enough or whatever that is. The level, the shame that I see that comes in with my Christian clients is different in that, to your point, you know, churches sometimes use that idea, not so much anymore, but certainly 20 years ago, right? Even Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, and in some churches still, this idea that shaming somehow will help that person get better, and it doesn't. It it actually increases the addiction, increases the amount of self-loathing, and then the need to soothe. So, Mm -hmm. what happens then is with Christian clients, there is this fear that partners up with shame that I'm going to burn in hell, that I'm going Mm -hmm. to lose my salvation. I've been told that, you know, I'm going to, that, that, you know, my Christian friends and family members will not sit at a table and break bread with a sinner, that there's all consequences that Mm. will to me and so then how does that person become vulnerably vulnerable we we right you especially nathan having walked your road of recovery and walking it still we know that 
right? Addiction thrives in secrecy and isolation. Mm-hmm. And what that's what shame does. It's the bolt on the door of allowing somebody to be free. So oh, wow. really, when we think about that, if if addiction is thriving in secrecy and isolation, the bolt on the door that doesn't allow that person to reach out for community, for support, is shame. Mm. When we can reach through that with compassion and truly understand that without trauma, there is no addiction. It, it's not an excuse for behaviors. If there are partners listening right now, I identify with that pain. I'm a partner in recovery myself. Mm-hmm. So it's not giving a pass like, oh, you poor traumatized, you know, male. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you have every reason to do this and you poor pitiful you. It's about accountability and ownership. And yes, sometimes consequences that are, you know, are, are, are really um, heartbreaking, whether it's a loss of a relationship or a career or a reputation yeah. or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but it is it is noting and making space that yes, these are traumatized people that are are making choices that, that then sadly traumatize others. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, you know, as I read the New Testament, I am struck by the contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees. And the way they treated the sexually broken. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Jesus was just so unfailingly kind mm-hmm. and uh, and gentle <laughs> uh, and not excluding, but welcoming and just being so compassionate toward the sexually broken. Mm-hmm. And it just seems to me sadly ironic that so many of our Christian communities who look to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith and the head of the church. He's our prime example. Uh, when it comes to dealing with the sexually broken, step more easily into the pharisaical space oh, yes. than, in, than into the shoes of Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I agree so much with the compassion, the model of Christ and the compassion. And what mm-hmm. I, so, you know, as my faith, you know, sweetens and deepens myself is how intentional Christ is, how ah. intentional Jesus is. It's really, he looks for the deep connection. He looks for the deep understanding. He's so intentional about that, right? Yeah. modeling that for us. Like, we are looking for connection. We are looking for intimacy. We are looking for vulnerability. That is where the growth, the healing, the mm. joy, the, 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 yeah, the, the joy, the, the growth happens is with that intentional vulnerability, the intentional connection. But none of that comes through judgment. None of that comes through the tisk tisk tisk, right? Shame yes, on yes, yeah, yeah. None yeah. of that. It all comes through a real and and he's very intentional about the examples that are given, right? No matter, you know, I, I would imagine some people who might be listening to this because I'll be posting it on my social media, Nathan. Uh, you know. I would imagine there will be plenty of my colleagues and perhaps, you know, people who are not faith-based, who are not Christians, who have been Mm -hmm. deeply wounded by Christians, especially people in the LGBTQI community, right, Mm -hmm. who have been so wounded and somehow led to believe that the love that they share is somehow sinful or not okay. And, you know, 
some people will see that belief as a Christian woman as, oh, I can't believe that Mari supports gay marriage and supports equality. I 100% do as a Christian. And I believe that some of our Christian, you know, our Christian brothers and sisters are going to be real surprised when they get to heaven, whatever heaven is in their <laughs> viewpoint. <laughs> you know, their neighbors are gay and their neighbors have been recovering sex addicts and all kinds mm-hmm. of things. So, you know. That's that's the way that I hold space for that. But yeah, you know, the church is growing, but it has a lot of work to do and a lot of a lot of ownership, a yeah. lot of ownership to do. Uh, I'm curious about your practice, Mari. Uh, you established it, I guess. Uh, how long ago did you start uh, growth counseling services? Oh gosh. Um, well, I've been doing the, this work for 20 years. You mm. know, we start doing, we have years where we are under what's called a clinical internship. So okay. we're, yes, we work under the license of a supervisor, a licensed supervisor, and we have mm-hmm. years of that after graduate school. So, you know. Yeah, sure, sure, I don't sure, think sure. I share all of that. You know, I don't know that I would have gone this route because it's a very long process going through. graduate school and then your clinical internship years and then the Mm -hmm. studying you know to pass not one but two exams but i've been now i think it's been 15 years now 16 years something like that that i um that i started growth counseling and thank you also um i was very thoughtful about that name and also the tagline a safe place to heal and grow Mm. so that is my tagline and that is my intention and my mission in working with hurting human beings is I want them to feel like they have a safe, connected, sacred space to really explore and really grow. And for some of these individuals, Nathan, you know, the clinical relationship is the first relationship where there's healthy attachment. Yeah. Where there's oh, that's good, right. Mm-hmm, where they're really practicing healthy attachment, where there's really good solid boundaries. There's, you know, accountability, you know, without shaming, where mm-hmm. there's reflection, where, you know, my clients have nicknamed me the velvet brick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess right. I always kind of chuckle at that. But my men's group started, I think they gave me that little moniker, I don't know, many, many years mm-hmm. ago. And and I said, well, tell me what that means, guys. I, I'm getting a chuckle. I just want to make sure I'm tracking with you. And they said, well, you're really compassionate and empathetic, Mari, but you're also super direct and very boundaried and you don't mince words. And I think that's fair, you know. And so with that clinical approach at growth counseling, I want to have a relationship with my clients, boundaried, clinical, therapeutic, of course, but I want them to understand that this is a relationship a therapeutic relationship and it's a safe place to heal and grow and growth and evolution is something that we're I, for me i hope that never ends for me i want to mm-hmm. continue to evolve i turned 60 this year i don't know how that happened it's like wait i was yeah. just you know i'm 60 yeah. this is crazy <laughs> right right and yeah and, yeah and and i love the growth and the discovery and i'm a work definitely an imperfect work in progress mm-hmm. and always growing and, and evolving as a woman as a christian as a therapist and i hope that never happens until i'm six feet under you know yeah yeah wow uh, well you work uh in a uh, you have a supervisory role in uh, the csat program mm-hmm. uh the fact that there actually is CSAP and ITAP these days to me is just phenomenal, just world changing. Mm-hmm. Um, you're looking ahead. 
for yourself, for your practice, and kind of for this, uh, for the lack of a better term, uh, ministry as a whole, caring for the sexually broken and those who have been injured by the sexually broken. Uh, how, where do you think we're on a good trajectory? What are your hopes? What are your dreams for going forward? Oh, I love this question so much, Nathan. I'm so glad you asked this. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, you know, one thing is, you know, I, I, it's so interesting, right? I don't really think about people as being sexually broken, right? I see mm-hmm. them there, see them as, you know, this is a sexual template that was developed in your in your early years. And I'm not talking about orientation right now, right? I'm talking uh-huh. yeah. about... I'm talking about sexual behaviors that that human being is coming into my practice and saying, my sexual choices or my, yeah, whatever their choices are, are creating negative consequences for me in my life. I have tried stopping and I have failed those attempts. They have been repeated attempts and Mm -hmm. I'm making any type of traction here. I am hurting myself and I'm hurting the people that love me. I am lying. I am living a a life in, in, you know, that is compartmentalized and secret. Mm-hmm. And I am gaslighting and hurting people around me and I'm hurting myself. You know, I don't look at that person as broken. I look at that person as wounded and a person yes. who can then determine for themselves with my help. Of course, it's a very focused, you know, as a CSAT and also CPIT, which I'm a, a certified partners, betrayal trauma therapist and supervisor wow. as well for betrayed partners and teach for ITAP in that particular certification. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at this human being as a whole, whole human being wanting to understand what is their sex history timeline? How did this template, you know, um, first get started? You know, where did they begin to learn? You know, what, where did they learn to tolerate the level of pain that they had to tolerate in order to be secretive and deceptive and to hurt others. Really mm. want to unpack that and understand that. So I don't necessarily see people as sexually broken. Rather, they are on their trajectory. And if they're courageous enough to, you know, work with a therapist who can help them unpack all of that and and live an authentic life that is, you know, that makes sense for them, great. And that may be that they come out. That may be that they say, you know, I am a polyamorous person. That may be that, you know, I am embracing this part of my sexuality. Then that's up to them. It's not to pathologize any part of their sexuality, unless, of course, it's hurting themselves or hurting another person or animal, for example, right? Mm-hmm. So, although I know that may sound sort of strange, but we, you know, we, as long as everyone is involved. So if I have a couple, for example, Nathan, that come in and they say, Mari, we like to, you know, dress up like Snoopy and Hello Kitty and chandeliers <laughs> okay. and, you know, and, you know, throw onion dip at each other. And that's what gets us off. Okay, well, that's not <laughs> my cup of tea, but hey, okay. They might say, you know, and are we, you know, are we sex addicts then? Is this weird? Is this wrong? Are we sexually broken? I'll say, you know, are you both consenting adults? Are you mm-hmm. both, you know, is this something that you both want to do? Do you have safe words? You mm-hmm. know, good boundaries? Are you being honest with each other? No, you know, there's no minors or animals or non-consenting people involved? Nope. Well, it just sounds like you're doing your sexuality in a way that works out really well for you. So have fun, mm-hmm. right? So we 
can find joy in that. But in terms of where I'm noticing our field moving and what I'm so grateful for is an increase in mindfulness or what we call this bottom up approach, mm-hmm. really, and not just treating that person through cognitive tasks and tools, meaning, you know, here's your homework, here's your reading, here's your tools, you need to practice that now. Why didn't mm-hmm. you? reading? Why didn't you finish that worksheet? Well, cognitive approaches are very helpful in the beginning of recovery work, Nathan, because it really helps that person have a focus. We call Mm -hmm. it the safe container. It allows the client to feel like, oh, okay, great. Mari knows what she's doing. We've got a plan here. I'm following a roadmap. This is wonderful. But if it's only a cognitive approach with tasks and tools, we are not integrating the trauma we're not doing deep trauma healing right incorporating mindfulness-based work where we're helping the client integrate the trauma vertically horizontally and somatically right using Mm -hmm. the right brain using breath using guided imagery using you know mindfulness-based approaches that could be prayer that could be meditation that could be journaling you know Mm -hmm. using that what we call the right brain to right brain approach, that person-centered approach, that's where we're going to see long-term recovery. And when we think about recovery, I love, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Gabor Matei's work. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, he's just wonderful, isn't he? And he's yeah, he is, yeah. a beautiful approach to addiction work. And if your listeners don't know, he's a medical doctor out of Canada who's written wonderful books. Um mm-hmm. One of my favorites is this book called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. But at any rate, he really talks about recovery being one thing. It's about recovering the authentic self, Mm. recovering the authentic self, giving oneself permission to let the insides and outsides match, to do deep healing and to be authentic, right? To be vulnerable and to be transparent. And that's very difficult in the world that we live in. I would say the world we live in is broken. Yes. We have hurting people living in a broken world. So I'm so grateful that we're moving toward modalities like mindfulness-based therapies. I'm also certified in mindfulness-based addiction and trauma therapy. And we are incorporating EMDR, brain spot. Uh And so Mm -hmm. also trained in EMDR. And, you know, we're using parts work now. Um, mm-hmm. and family systems work and helping clients heal, you know, the complexity of that human being, helping them integrate. So that was kind of a long-winded answer, Nathan, but oh. for, it, at least for me to get excited about that. And I appreciate the vocabulary help. I think that is kind of a residue of my, uh, you know, upbringing and religious past to think always in terms of brokenness mm-hmm. rather than terms of woundedness. That's beautiful. Well, uh, Mari, our listeners can get in touch with you in your practice. How? What's the best way? Uh, Yes. So I work with clients within. I'm licensed in the state of California Mm -hmm. and work now via telehealth. So all of my work is done uh, via telehealth with clients. So I work. Oh, nice. Yeah. In the state of California, all the way from border to border is what I say. Mm -hmm. And I just love the clients that I work with. And they can reach me through my website, which is growthcounselingservices.com. Again, that's growthcounselingservices.com. And then if there are therapists listening, 
and you'd like to, I do a lot of consulting work with therapists around case consulting. Um, if mm-hmm. I'm in their business coaching, a lot of that as well. And um, they can reach me through thecounselorscoach.com. Again, that's thecounselorscoach.com is my website. So that's how folks can reach me. Um, clinically, if they want to work with me, it would be within the state of California. And mm-hmm. then um, uh, professionally, if they would like to do consulting work with me, it would be anywhere. I work with therapists all across the globe. Today, wow. let's somebody from Cairo. And hmm. tomorrow I have somebody from Canada and over the weekend, Australia. So, wow. So, wow. yeah, it's been <laughs> a lot of fun. And also there's a lot of free resources on my clinical um, website for people who couldn't work with me. There's blogs and there's an ebook and there's other things, especially for Betrayed Partners. There's some good stuff there. So that's, that's me. Okay. That's wonderful. I am astonished by the list of certifications that you have. You aren't by any chance a certified Volkswagen mechanic as well. Are you? I could use some help. <laughs> no, I don't quite. I, I haven't ventured into that. Well, get get busy. Get busy. Yeah. Uh, get, what, am I, what am I doing? <laughs> Twiddling my thumbs over here. I will, just, just as a point of professional clarification, I am trained in Gottman's. I'm not certified in Gottman's okay. couples therapy, okay. and I am trained in EMDR um, so we can go through training without getting certification. Sure, right. Or you can go the whole nine yards, which you know is more intensive. If you mm-hmm. want, to be, let's say, a supervisor or consultant in Gottman's and um, and EMDR. Okay. So I'm trained in both of those modalities. I'm not certified in those two. Okay, well that changes everything. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just to clarify, to be transparent. Okay. I appreciate it. Mari, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to visit with us. I'm sure that our listeners are going to benefit greatly from our conversation. Stay with us, listeners. We'll be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, Tom, what'd you think? (laughs) Uh, she's impressive um, in a lot of ways. I I heartily, heartily agree with her uh, on on her thoughts about uh, Roadmap. Uh, I love Mm -hmm. love the name of her uh, her practice. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You as well. I thought, you know, growth counseling uh, Mm -hmm. is forward thinking. I love that. She's obviously very, very forward thinking. Uh, yeah. The fact that she she said a safe place to heal and grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. I had some some uh, I don't know. She she caused me to pull up short <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> yeah, but she's got this. No, she's she's very um, soft spoken. But I I can see her being the velvet covered brick. Uh, you know, as she's oh, described yeah. by some of her clients, as somebody who just draw a hard line. Oh, yeah. But she, as she, uh, her lines, at least in one respect, they're drawn wider than I would draw them, and I guess that's where I had the problem. Because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in in the in the rooms of NA, for example, there's this term called oh, oh AA. There's in AA, it's a group called. Uh, there's a term, uh, California sober. <laughs> that seems to describe somebody who stopped drinking but still smokes weed, right? <laughs> So, um, 
it it seems to me as though she has a sub, she practices in California and only in California. So perhaps you know yeah. it's, it's appropriate there. Um, and uh, I guess I need to. Uh, I guess I need to come to terms with what's going on worldwide. At any rate, what I'm referring to is it's kind of this casual comment she made, but maybe you are polyamorous. Mm. Okay. Um, And I've bumped into this term recently talking with younger folks. This really, this idea has gained traction, especially in post-Christian Europe and increasingly in contemporary American culture. Uh, that you can have sexual integrity while having sexual relations with multiple people. Multiple people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, it's it revolves around the whole concept of recreational sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, it revolves around the whole idea that sex is a human relations thing as opposed to. Um, uh, you know, the Christian concept of a monogamous, intimate relationship with. Mm-hmm. I have a problem with that, but the fact of the matter is that is that is uh, a standard in much of academia. Um, mm-hmm. is, uh, it is considered normal around the world. And, and as followers of Christ, we've got to We've got to uh, live in that same world and navigate that uh, without um, <laughs> without any judgment. <laughs> you know, I brought this up to her brother a couple of days ago because it was really bugging me. Yeah. And he said, and, and playing devil's advocate, playing devil's advocate, <laughs> he said, well, if you want to be biblical uh, in the Old Testament, Plenty of polygamous <laughs> patriarchs. And in the New Testament, it isn't ex- only uh, in the New Testament, only are elders and deacons required to be the husband of one wife. Which, which is obvious that they're making an assumption. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't know. It just gave me the it gave me the squirrelies and the heebie-jeebies because because you know why? Because that old inner sex addict that you know does not want to leave my subconscious would have yeah. just absolutely loved that bit of license. I you know and, <laughs> I I had I had a, a hard time. Uh, uh, with monogamy, obviously, I screwed uh-huh. up. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. Yeah, and, yeah. And I and I think that that is is um, uh, not unique, shall we yeah, say? Yeah, yeah. However, however, I I do feel like, man, if if it's if it's difficult with one, what makes us think it's easier with multiple? <laughs> <laughs> Intimacy, <laughs> intimacy is hard, you know. Yes, and yeah, add, yeah. When you add to intimacy sexual intimacy, suddenly it becomes, you know, yeah, yeah. white hot iron. Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 a big part of my insides, really. Um, it's for me. It feels like yes, if I can have an intimate 
and sexually intimate relationship with one person, I'm mm-hmm. con- that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, having having uh, now arrived at a place where I enjoy a certain amount of, of sanity and serenity, I am sticking with my old sobriety definition of no sex with self or partners other than the spouse. To me, that's where peace is found. But I did enjoy our conversation with Mari Lee, and it was very nice of her to take the time to talk with us. Yep. Yep. I, like, I like the fact that she quoted Gabor Mate. Yeah. Which- well, that is an outstanding book in the yeah, realm. Yeah. Of most, uh, just mm-hmm. really, really good. But what was pretty cool, I think she said, recovering the authentic self. Quoting yeah, yeah. That is, that's the heart of Samson. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, say, before we go, um, we should mention, just to remind our listeners, uh, time is ticking away. We are approaching. Uh, uh, I, I noticed, by the way, that there are the um, the Halloween and Thanksgiving stuff is already up in the local stores. <laughs> yes. Which, which, which means that the Samson Summit is not that far away. It's it is very close. <laughs> yeah, the first weekend in November. Samson guys from around North America and some from other continents are going to convene at beautiful Sky Ranch, not that far Mm. from Tyler, Texas. Uh, Fabulous facility. We and we are going to we're going to share experience, strength and hope. We got an excellent uh, featured speaker in Adam Young. Andy Gullihorn has decided he's coming along to do music. yeah, it's going to be a fantastic time. Yeah. So, uh, listeners, if you have not yet reserved your spot at the Samson Summit, uh, go and register today. Uh, the premium sleeping accommodations are all spoken for. You waited too long. However, however, <laughs> you can survive in a bunkhouse for two nights. I do have a premium uh, room, but... For the right price. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Uh, well, hey, Tom, thanks for joining uh, us on this episode of the podcast. Uh, listeners, that's it for this week. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Tom. Yep. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com. <laughs>